suffering. Suffering is a problem that all of humanity inevitably faces. Even the most sheltered life, even a life with all of the breaks and protections that money or power can buy will involve at least some suffering and some anguish. Now, some suffering is a result of our choices, isn't it? For instance, if we, if we don't study for a test and we do poorly on it, then we are facing the consequences of our choice. Or if we drive above the speed limit and then we get pulled over and receive a ticket, then we are getting what we deserve. Our suffering in these cases is a result and causally connected to our, our actions. But at least some of the suffering in our lives seems less deserved or at times completely undeserved. It's hard to argue that a child who gets cancer somehow deserves it. This sort of, of suffering, this suffering, undeserved suffering, seems deeply problematic and even unjust. And conversely, why is it that some people who are clearly immoral, who exploit others, seem to thrive? These folks harm others and yet don't seem to face the consequences for their actions. Why do the innocent suffer? Why do the upright and the righteous face calamity and ruin while the wicked prosper? These are, are questions that can, they can eat at us, and they make us wonder about whether the universe is a just place. They are also the questions that sit at the center of the book of Job. You heard a bit of it from the first reading this morning. The book of Job is a classic. It deserves your careful, careful and meditative reading, though I will admit it is not a simple book. And frankly, there is not a simple message that comes out of it. It is a book that is primarily lyrical poetry, a conversation, or perhaps better to say an argument, takes place among the characters of the book. They are arguing about the nature of one man's seemingly undeserved suffering. Now, the book begins with some, with some prose, a, a, a mythic story that sets the table for what comes after. It begins by describing Job. Job is a, a rich man with a large family who we are told is blameless and upright. He is honest and honorable. He is caring and virtuous. And after we are told about Job, the action then shifts to the courts of heaven. There, God and the heavenly beings have gathered together, including Satan. Now, just as a side note, Satan means accuser. And when this book was written, 
Satan does not seem to have taken on some of the meaning that he will take on by the time of the writing of the New Testament. But in any case, God praises Job to Satan, telling Satan that there is no one who is as morally upstanding as Job. No one honors God and turns away from evil like Job, God says. And Satan responds by saying that it seems like Job has a pretty good reason for being so upright. Because the thing is, he has a lot to lose if he doesn't. Satan argues that if Job lost everything, then Job would curse God to God's face. And so a wager is made. Satan is allowed to devastate Job's life in order to see whether Job will curse God or not. As a result, Job loses his vast wealth. He loses his children, and he loses his health. Now, I would caution you, please don't take this first section of this book literally. I don't believe that we are to understand that God makes wagers of our lives. Please don't. Please don't God, right? Okay. (laughs) Instead, I think this, this first explanation, this description of what is happening with Job is setting the table. It reveals to us that Job does not deserve the fate that has befallen him. In response to all of the horror that Job experiences, Job remains faithful. Job curses the day of his birth, wishing that he could die. He wishes, better yet, that he had never been born. But, here's the thing, Job does not curse God. In Job's misery, friends come to see Job and to sit with him in his agony. Now, these are some well-meaning guys. They are faithful in their own way. They are well-learned. They know their theology. They know what they're talking about. And they sit with Job in silence. And then, in time, when Job begins to speak, then they listen to him. They listen as he curses the day of his birth. They listen as he wishes he had never been born. But they also listen to Job when he describes how his calamity seems undeserved. But the thing is, for Job's friends, this cannot be. Their theology, a theology that Job admits he would have once agreed with, is that the upright are blessed and receive just rewards while the wicked are punished. And so the friends, they look at the disaster of Job's life, and they wrongly conclude that he is in need of repentance. And so they call on Job to ask God for forgiveness, for in their minds, Job clearly needed it. But Job knows his life. 
He knows that the horrible things that have happened to him are not deserved, and so Job defends himself to his friends, and he maintains his, his relative innocence. He does not deserve this amount of disaster in his life. He gives voice to his suffering honestly and accurately. And he does so, and as he does so, he realizes that the way of his suffering, this path of suffering, it brings him into solidarity with others who suffer. It brings him closer to other sufferers. He sees the the human connection that emerges, connections of compassion, which is to say suffering with one another. And in all of this, all of this, Job longs to make his case to God, longs to hear an explanation for how this suffering could be. And he finds voice, and, he, and as he does so, he still does not curse God, but nor does he give up on God. But in not giving up on God, he strives to hold God's feet to the fire. He calls God out. He calls out to God in protest as he gives voice to his anger and to his torment. In this moment, in this moment of protest and pain, this is what it looks like for Job to be faithful. And God... God responds. In the end, God appears in a whirlwind of divinity. But here's the thing. God does not offer explanations. God deeply rejects the ready-made explanations of Job's friends and, and actually sort of condemns them for it. They need Job's prayers to get back into God's good graces. God does not offer another alternative. Instead, God questions Job as God points out Job's ignorance. God describes the grandeur of creation and the depths of its mystery. God says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And God says, on what were its bases sunk? And who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and the heavenly beings shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? And while God praises Job for his questions, praises Job for his speeches, God offers Job no explanation. Instead, God reveals the absolute profundity of the created order. God shows forth the mystery of creation. And in doing so, Job comes to see the mystery of suffering as wrapped up into the mystery of creation. And both those mysteries wrapped into the ultimate mystery that is God. 
In the end, after God has had God say, Job is left in silence and wonder and even bewilderment. Though it had once been necessary and appropriate to do so, Job lays down his protest. Perhaps the miracle is that Job comes to a sense of peace and even a sense of acceptance, though there is no explanation given for the suffering that exists. As the book ends, Job's fortunes are more than restored. He gets double back his wealth. He even even gets to start his family anew. He has new sons and new daughters. It feels like a little bit of a cheat, to be honest with you. But I think the move is to point towards God's justice. But even in all of this, no explanation will be given for the suffering that Job went through. No easy answer will become his. Why do the innocent suffer? The book of Job gives us no answer to the question of why. We are not given an explanation that will make sense of Job's ruin. And if I'm being honest with you, then I find God's response to Job's accusations deeply unsatisfying. I want an answer to why, desperately. But then again, perhaps there is no reason that would satisfy me, at least not in this life. We're not given an answer to the question of why in the book of Job, but we are given, I think, a what now and a who. The book of Job offers us answers to the questions of what should be done in the face of suffering, what we should do in the face of suffering. For I believe the book of Job offers us a model for being with one another in our suffering. Not exactly like Job's friends with the ready-made answers that do not fit the circumstances. They were, they were actually better when they just shut up and they didn't talk at all. <laughs> because once they start to offer explanations, they couldn't really be present with Job. They could not be in solidarity with Job. They couldn't suffer with him because their explanations kept them apart from him. They kept They they kept them above him. Rather, if we are going to support one another, then we have to be with one another in solidarity and in companionship and by showing true compassion like Job learns in his own suffering. But more important, maybe, than what we do for one another is the, the answer to the question of who. We are given an answer in the book of Job to the question of who is with us 
in our suffering. For in the book of Job and through the whole scriptural witness, we are given the good news that God is with us. God is with us in the suffering and in the pain of this world. God is with us on the boat of life in the midst of stormy seas. God is with those families who have been separated. God is with those, who, those children who are suffering in detention centers. God is suffering with the hungry and the homeless. God is with those who are suffering illness and depression. God is with those who are oppressed and marginalized. God is with those who are most in need and who are most broken. God suffers with us, and in doing so, God promises deliverance and redemption. Maybe in this life, a little bit of peace, a little bit of acceptance. But no matter what, ultimately, God promises to wipe the tears from every eye. God promises to be with us in the midst of all of the brokenness, redeeming and restoring, bringing new life, resurrection life, out of death, bringing forgiveness out of sin, bringing hope in the midst of despair. Suffering is a mystery, but in the face of that mystery, God promises to be with us. In the face of the mystery of suffering, God promises to be for us. For God will hold us all and redeem us all and be present with us all to the end. Amen.